morning, I want you to turn to Jeremiah. We're starting a brand new series uh, today called Enemies of the Heart. And by the way, if I feel or I do feel a little stiff, but if I look a little stiff and sore today, I went skiing yesterday. Now, I knew that at some point my granddaughter would be able to out-ski me. But she's only skied two years, I've skied 50. So I thought, you know, by the time she's nine or 10, I'll just have to prepare myself mentally. She's She's six, and I couldn't keep up with her yesterday. Not a chance in the world. I cannot believe how that six-year-old can... It was lots of fun, but grandpa feels it. Yeah, a little ibuprofen, a little of that, you know, deep heat that you put in your muscles. and uh, uh. So I am a little stiff this morning, but the message this morning um, is a start of, of a series called Enemies of the Heart. And we're going to talk about four uh, specific emotions that tend to clog the arteries of our heart. And... Um, I hope that this will be a really helpful message for all of us to grow in the Lord, to examine ourselves. Sometimes we can ignore the issues that are underlying in some of our spiritual problems. God wants us to flourish. God wants us to live this victorious life. And it's not a matter of salvation. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about living in the victory and the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes, you know, we we don't really see those things that are hindering us. So this series, Enemies of the Heart, is based upon a book by Andy Stanley. There's four that we'll be dealing with today. We're going to be dealing with the subject of guilt. Of guilt. About uh, 12, 13, 14 years ago, we had a wonderful couple who were part of our church for uh, several years, Steve and Tamara Cole. I want to show you a picture of Steve. Uh, Steve and I just really connected when he attended here. Steve was the assistant superintendent for the Wenatchee School uh, District. Um, great guy, loved the Lord, uh, great educator, uh, had two small children. And Steve and Tamara were very faithful and involved here. Then he got a job offer in Yakima, bigger school district. That's his hometown. So they kind of stole him from us. <laughs> uh, he returned home to Yakima and did a great job there. But back in the summer of 2012, uh, Steve was out running one morning. Now, that's something that at that time I was doing quite a bit of running, doing half marathons, and Steve and I would talk about. We had this kind of affinity because we wore the same running shoes. Brooks, GTS Adrenaline. GTS means your go-to shoe. And man, we would laugh about that on Sunday mornings. He'd say, hey, where's your go-to shoes? I'd say, ah, they're home in the closet. I thought I'd wear these shiny ones today. And I just love Steve. And I just hated to lose them when they moved, but man, it was a promotion and all that. When the summer of 2012, uh, Steve was out running one morning. Now, this is a picture of health. He had uh, uh, planned to take his family to Disneyland that very week. And he went out for a run, which was not normal. What was not normal is that he didn't come back. And uh, Tamara became concerned, 
And Steve had collapsed, and they weren't able to resuscitate Steve. And my friend Steve died after a run in 2012 to the shock of everyone that knew him. I attended his funeral service down in Yakima, and it was packed. And there were educators, and there were attorneys uh, talking about the impact of this man who at 48 years young, 48 years, again, he was outwardly this picture of good health. But there was something in his heart, in his physical heart, that had not been detected. See, sometimes you can't judge a book by the cover. You understand that? That whole analogy? And I think we have to be careful not to deceive ourselves that even if we look pretty and shiny on the outside and we're doing all the right things and people see us worshiping the Lord and smiling, there could be things inwardly that we're ignoring. I'm not saying Steve ignored his health. I, I don't believe that's the case. But there were heart problems not detected in Steve's life that led to his physical death. No doubt he's with the Lord now and rejoicing. His kids at that time were probably eight, ten maybe. Now one, I think, just graduated from a college back east. I think they're both in college. Tamara's doing great, still serving the Lord. Heart is really important. Not just physical heart, but our spiritual heart is really important. We read that all the time in the scripture. Guard your heart. Make sure your heart does not become hard. And did you know that our heart can become hard without us even realizing it? Just like your arteries, your physical arteries in your heart can be clogged right now. And you might not have any idea until all of a sudden you get that pain in your chest and you end up at Central Washington Hospital and they say, we need to do an angiogram so that we can see if there's any blockage in your arteries. And then sometimes you go on to have an angioplasty where they clear the, the arteries out or sometimes people have to have bypasses. You understand that? We get that. But I want you to think about that in a spiritual sense. Maybe there are things that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us about our spiritual heart, like a spiritual angiogram, to say, Lord, is there anything blocking my relationship with you? Is there any emotions that are working against me? Now, I know that is counterintuitive to our society. Man, you turn on the television, uh, you, you talk to people, and you know what they'll tell you? Oh, just follow your heart. You've heard that. Just follow your heart. Now, you hear that a lot on Hallmark movies. I understand that. <laughs> oh, just follow your heart. Move back to that little hometown and fall in love with your high school sweetheart. And we hear that all the time. Follow your heart. But I want you to know, friends, listen. The Bible warns us against that. Dr. Phil might tell you that or someone else might tell you to follow your heart. The Bible warns you 
against following your heart because your heart can be diseased. You can have unseen emotions that aren't resolved, that give you a false reading. <laughs> you know, if the speedometer on your car is not calibrated right, you can be cruising down, you can be looking at the gauge and it says 60 miles an hour, but the guy with the car that has the blue lights and the radar, and he says, no, sir, no, ma'am, you are going 70 miles an hour. Now, that's the truth. So we need to be careful. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Here's the fact, I think, for all of us. My heart tells me that all of reality ought to serve my desires. I deserve it. I should be happy. Oh, don't worry about others. You, you deserve it. Follow your heart. My heart likes to think the best of me and the worst of others. Because that's my human nature. That's my default. And the Bible says, no, no, no. That's why you can't trust your heart. Your heart has a disease. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it's very clear. Verses 7 and 10 if you don't have a Bible today, you can access my notes or you can access the scriptures, but you'll need to go online today, wfa.church, go to the live stream and you'll see where it says take notes and this is all here for you. I apologize, we don't have it today on the screen, but Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10, this is the word of God now, okay? The heart is deceitful above all things. Oh, man. So that probably means I shouldn't follow my heart. And it's desperately sick. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And there's a lot in those two verses, and I'm tempted to kind of go off some rabbit trails here, uh, particularly when it talks about your ways and your deeds. But I'll resist that. I'll leave that for another time. I want to concentrate on verse 9. Without the Holy Spirit's guidance, without the, the boundaries of the Holy Spirit, without living within the parameters of the scripture, without every day asking God to lead you, without those things, the heart is deceitful and it is desperately sick. Now, you might say, well, that's an Old Testament scripture. Well, let me give you a New Testament scripture. In chapter, um, not sure what chapter it is, it's in the book of Mark. Jesus, who we know is the great physician, now, let's continue our analogy. We're talking about the heart, a physical heart clogging the arteries. You have a cardiologist involved, right? Today, we're talking about a spiritual heart, about the Holy Spirit doing the angiogram. We have a great physician involved. And the great physician is who? Let's do one more time. The great physician is who? Excellent. Now, here's what Jesus says about the heart in Mark. From within, 
out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. He's talking about what's in our heart. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, <laughs> deceit. Man, this is not a very good heart checkup. <laughs> when you think about it, Jesus, our cardiologist, saying, oh, well, here's what we've discovered. There's wickedness in your heart. There's deceit in your heart. There's sensuality in your heart. There's envy. There's slander. There's pride. There's foolishness. And then Jesus says, all of these things come from within. They defile a person. Ephesians goes on to say, Paul writes, our understanding, our understanding can be darkened and we can be alienated from God due to the hardness of our heart. Truth is, no one lies to us more than our own unguarded heart. It's kind of like if you've watched any of the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, there's what's called a Jack Sparrow compass. And you know that Jack Sparrow compass does? It points to what the owner wants most. That's what a Jack Sparrow compass is. Our heart's kind of like that. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, our heart wants to do what we want to do rather than pointing to true north, which is Jesus Christ. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the word to have God's perspective. So this, this heart is damaged and it's damaged by sin. We were born with a damaged heart. And then Again, our culture, our upbringing, and just our own default that everything's about me, 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 me. Uh, pretty soon, we've got heart damage. Just like my friend Steve had heart damage that he wasn't aware of, you and I could have spiritual heart damage. And I don't know about you, but this is a year, this year of 2021, where I believe God is calling us back to the basics. We're reading through the Bible. We're taking this journey through the Bible we're praying more. We're saying, Lord, prune us. It hurts to be pruned. We don't understand it, but we know we need it if we're going to be more effective in the years ahead. And if we truly want to get back to the basics, instead of having it all figured out and saying, okay, here's how God's going to do this, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And it's not easy. This is not an easy message. This entire month will not be easy for us to look at. But it's necessary if we want to get back to the basics and if we want this church and our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, life's not fair. And that's another reason that we have heart damage. Every one of us in this room has experienced a measure of hurt. Some of you perhaps more than others. You've experienced pain. You've experienced rejection. And all those unpleasant things, if we're not careful, can become lodged in the spiritual arteries of our heart. Now, sometimes I can detect when my heart is wrong by listening to what I say. Because again, out of the 
abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So when I say, I'll never trust anyone again, I think, oh man, that's a, that's, that's a dangerous thing to say. Just because I trusted somebody and I was betrayed or I was hurt, for me to actually say, I'll never trust anyone again, is a signal that there's something clogging the arteries because God wants us to live in this authentic community. He wants us to be able to love again and to trust again. I've heard many women say that. I'll never trust a man again. And I understand in the context why they might say that. But it's, it is indicative of something that's in their heart. And again, just as a cardiologist uses his angiogram to examine the blood flow through your arteries... Otherwise, without that, I mean, it can go undetected for years. We need to ask the Holy Spirit. And that's my encouragement to you. Last month when we talked about love, we gave you some specific things to do to show what love does. This month in March, as we kind of walk through the Lenten season, this is the third Sunday of Lent, we're working up toward our service that will commemorate the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. On Easter Sunday, we're, gonna, we're going to acknowledge both because you can't have the empty tomb without the cross, right? But as we work our way up to that this month, I want you to be open every single day to let the Holy Spirit really show you your heart and then help you to be open to the changes necessary so that you won't have a spiritual heart attack later on. That's what I want us to do. Be open to the Spirit. And I know that's tough. It's tough to be transparent. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know you're gaining weight, so you avoid looking in the mirror. You know? I, I, and what I'm asking you to do will not be easy. But, oh, it'll be so healthy for us. Four enemies of the heart, four life, spiritual life-blocking agents. I tell you, they'll po poison your relationships with others. They'll poison your faith. They will even undergird your character. And here's the four we're going to talk about. Guilt. Talk about that today. Next week, we're going to look at anger. Pastor Scott has prepared a great teaching on how anger can be an enemy of the heart. And then we'll look at greed and we'll look at jealousy. Let me like break those down for just a moment and we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at guilt. Now I don't have this prepared today on the screen but we'll give it to you later. But it would be worth writing it down if you're taking notes. Guilt says I owe you if I'm guilty about something that I have said to Chris that I shouldn't have said, I'm going to carry that all week. I owe him an apology. So guilt is I owe you. Then next week we're going to talk about anger. You know what anger is? You owe me. <laughs> I am really unhappy because... John should have come and apologized to me about that. He owes me. 
So guilt is I owe you, anger is you owe me, and then we turn to greed, which is I owe me. <laughs> right? Yes, this car is adequate, but I owe it to myself to drive a bigger and better one. Greed. And then the last week of the month, we'll talk about jealousy. And jealousy really is God owes me. Lord, man, you're, you're blessing Russ. What about me? Man, after all, I've served you longer than he has. After all, I've done more than blah, blah, blah. You owe me, God. Jealousy really is more an attitude of God owes me. So that's where we're going this month. <laughs> Hope you'll come back. <laughs> I know this is kind of hard preaching, but it's what we need, friends. Just like maybe some of you need to go to your cardiologist and get a heart checkup. We all need to go to the Holy Spirit, and we need to get this heart checkup from him. Let's talk about a guilt for a moment. Guilt is one of those interesting uh, words that is a noun, but it's become a verb, uh, just in usage. It's kind of like the word Google. You know, how many times do you say, oh, well, just Google that. Well, Google is not a verb. You know, Google is a, is a noun. But we have made it into a verb. I won't ask you, but I know most of us have used that term before. Oh, just go Google it. Guilt in the dictionary is a noun. But we've turned it into a verb because guilt has been the cause of a lot of actions in our life. Guilt has caused us to do a lot of things because it says, I owe you. Guilt is the result of having done something that we perceive as wrong. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit has convicted us we don't perceive it as wrong, but the Holy Spirit tells us it is wrong. And so we're even wrestling with submitting to God's perspective on things. Because remember, our heart's deceitful. So if you're like me, you can justify a lot of things. You say, oh, well, really, that wasn't wrong. But if God's telling me it's wrong, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not subjective. If I steal from you, I owe that item back to you. If I offend you, I owe you an apology. That's what guilt it stems from this I owe you. You've taken something, which means if you've taken something, you are the debtor. Think of it that way. I go to the bank. They say, yes, Mr. Beebe, I'll give you $10,000. You give me the title to your pilot. I take the $10,000. Now I'm a debtor because I owe them something. And the Bible speaks to that in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now when you look at, where does authority belong here? Authority belongs to those who are owed, not those who owe. So I'm a debtor to the bank. They're the ones that have authority. They're the ones that can call and say, you know, Mr. Beebe, we're going to call your loan in early. And I said, what? Well, yes, 
if you look at the fine print, we have the ability to do that. So remember that in the context here, when we talk about confronting our guilt, this is where we owe somebody, we are in their debt, the authority belongs to them, so what's the solution? When it comes to emotions, when it comes to these things that really clog our heart, I just want you to remember that secrets always lose their power when exposed to light. Secrets always lose their power when exposed to light. Easter Sunday, you're going to hear an incredible testimony from one of our church family who had a secret for years and years that nobody knew about or very few people knew about. And then last spring, she decided, nope, I'm going to expose this to the light of my family, my friends, to my God. I'm going to get the help I need. And God's used that in such an incredible way. But it all started with the decision to expose a secret to light. Because the light frees our heart from the power of guilt. Now for every one of these emotions, we're going to give you a a biblical solution. Okay? So by the end of March, we'll probably put together a little summary that will show all this to you. But the light that will free you from guilt according to the word of God, is confession. Confession. If you have guilt, the remedy is confession. I want to talk about the power of confession. When you confess something, you expose it to light. Now, listen, it might not be the kind of confession that you have in your mind because we're comfortable with a certain type of confession like a flippant I'm sorry well I'm sorry I said that and made you mad you know and we think we've confessed something now that might ease your conscience and you might say well I confessed it might ease your conscience temporarily but it doesn't do anything to expose those deeper scars and secrets of your heart your heart will still be in turmoil even if you say the words if you think of confession as just something that you can flippantly say to God or to others and then not really take that step of repentance and restitution and to do the things that biblical confession really requires because sometimes that kind of casual confession actually leads to more destructive behavior it can lead to more secrets now let me give you an example Uh, growing up one of the verses that I learned early on was 1st John 1 9 Most of us know that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a true statement. We go to God, we confess, he will forgive us. 
But that is not the full meaning of confession as we look into the Word of God. What has happened through the years, at least it happened in my life, you almost use that as a loophole. I remember praying, and Lord, forgive me for lying about that homework assignment, and forgive me for using the word darn, because I know I shouldn't have done that, because it's really short for the other word that dad said never to use, and you know, and you go on, and, and oh Lord, and forgive me for everything else that I can't remember that I did today, because if you come back tonight, I want to go with you in the rapture, amen. It's like this big loophole. Oh, 1 John 1, 9. All we got to do is say 1 John 1, 9. And man, but you can say 1 John 1, 9 and you can confess to God. But if there's not a heart change, if there's no repentance, it only relieves our conscience. And that's very temporary. Now, let's get real here. And I know this is tough stuff. But how can confessing to God what you did to another person really make anything right? How does that resolve anything? What about the person I've wronged? Oh, I can confess to God, but does that really make it right with the person that I have wronged? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't work. It's a quick relief, you know, but it doesn't really heal the wound. It's like me taking ibuprofen for my sore muscles. <laughs> You know, it, it, it relieved the pain, but it's going to take a while for my muscles to, to be restored again. But we often find ourselves confessing the past over and over again. It keep, keeps haunting us. We say, okay, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, that I did that last week. And then next week, it, it's still, and we confess, but it does, it, it, it's still there. And the reason is because confession is more than just admitting to God your error. That's why we need to look a little deeper into the antidote for guilt. The antidote is confession, but confession the way the Bible wants us to confess. And every single time in the Bible, confession is associated with change. So if you haven't changed, maybe you haven't truly confessed. Maybe you have admitted an error. Maybe you've said some words, but is there that change? In the dictionary, definition of confusion is to admit or to acknowledge something. That's the worldly definition, to admit it. The biblical definition of confession is associated with change. You admit it, and then there's another step. See, confession means that admitting is just the first step in a sequence of steps that leads the guilty out of the darkness into the light. In the scriptures, confession is always connected with restitution, with repentance, and with restoration. Now just think about that for a moment, because I think some of us have this idea that confession is, well, in our private prayer closet without anyone else looking, we whisper to the Lord and we actually admit what we've done. He forgives us and everything's fine. That's not what true biblical confession is. 
The purpose of confession, restitution, repentance, and restoration. Let me give you two quick examples. Um, in the Old Testament, confession was always public. Public. <laughs> always. It also was associated with restitution. In Numbers chapter 5, let me read you just two scriptures, verses 6 and 7. Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord and that person realizes his guilt, we're talking about this morning, he shall confess his sin that he's committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. So there we see public confession and then restitution. Now think about John the Baptist, the pre-runner of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, people came to him, they were baptized by him and they confessed their sin. It was part of their public baptism. We're not talking about private confession here. Public because confession wasn't aimed at making people feel better. It was a step toward abandoning sin. We've made confession into something that just makes us feel better, but it doesn't deal with some of the issues of change. Over and over, the Bible speaks of confession as life change. It's never offered as a substitute for repentance. One of the scriptures we use, particularly... Uh, in the days, and we'll return to them shortly, where we have people come up to the altar and we anoint them with oil and we pray that God will heal them. And it's biblical, uh, but it's not the total picture in James chapter 5. We use the part about the oil uh, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, but in reality, here's what it says in James chapter 5, and I just want to read this to you as another way of confirming in your mind that what I'm telling you about confession is biblical. It's more than just feeling bad about something or using the first John 1, well, God, I'm sorry, uh, kind, kind of loophole. James 5, 14. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faithless save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And that's where we usually stop reading. <laughs> and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, this is a, like a command to us, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is at work. Have you ever noticed that healing can be perhaps hindered by one of these enemies of the heart? Maybe some of us who need healing need to let the Holy Spirit show us Man, do I have blocked arteries? Do I have guilt 
If I have guilt about something I've done, I need to do something with it, which is confession. And maybe as we also confess and make right and try to make restitution and restore relationships, then my arteries will be clear and the healing of Jesus will be able to soothe my physical need. Matthew 5 talks about it. If you're offering your gift at the altar, remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, go and be reconciled, come and offer your gift. Because here's the fact, friends. God values relationships, and he considers restoration a priority. It's it's literally impossible for you to be in complete fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with other people over something you've done. Now, before we receive communion and just have a moment of time that the Holy Spirit can examine us, my fourth point today is called misplaced grace. Because I want, I want to be careful. I, I believe this is what the Lord wants us to hear. But I'm not telling you to go dig up a bunch of stuff from your past. Sometimes things are buried, and you know it's best to keep them buried. Because if you start unburying stuff, it becomes stinky really fast. I'm only asking us to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. Be obedient. And as we take communion today, we're going to read where we're to examine ourselves. And that's just what I want you to do. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to examine myself at if there's an area of my life that I'm carrying guilt, and if I need to confess, then will you show me what I need to do? I can't tell you what needs to be done. But I can tell you that it might be more than just praying a simple prayer of forgiveness. Maybe the Lord's going to ask you to write a letter. Maybe the Lord's going to ask you to make a phone call. Maybe, I don't know. I just know when we sin, God is not the only offended party. The same Bible that assures us of God's forgiveness teaches us this principle of restitution. God's forgiven us, but maybe other people haven't. And we kid ourselves to think that everybody that we've wronged in life has just simply forgiven us and they're going on their merry way. Some of that is difficult for them, but when they receive from us that phone call or that letter, it's freeing to them. Grace compels us, friends, to make restitution to those that we've wronged if that's what the Holy Spirit's asking us to do. And then it's up to them. And I have asked people to forgive me and not hurt anything. I don't know if they've forgiven me or not. But you know, it's no longer part of what I carry. Now they have to deal with that. That's their responsibility. The Bible says in Romans, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends upon me. Does that mean that we're going to be at peace with one another? Always, forever? No. There's always going to be conflict. There is people in my life, unfortunately, that probably not at peace with. But everyone that the Holy Spirit has shown me I need to reach out to, I've tried to do that. 
so that I know as far as it depends upon me, I want to live at peace with those people. Grace compels us. Live at peace. And that peace only comes if we allow the Holy Spirit to show us those areas of guilt. The antidote for guilt is confession. Confession in a biblical way, reaching out, making restitution. One of my favorite stories is about a man who really made an impact in my life. His name was Harold Howerton. He was part of our church for a number of years, and we were at our Wednesday morning men's breakfast one day, and he talked about how he just couldn't seem to get the joy of the Lord for some reason, and then he, he remembered that he had taken a wrench from Washington State Highway Department up under Leavenworth Building when he worked for the state. He brought it home, borrowed something, I don't know, he, he never returned it. He had, he had been retired for two or three years. And he shared about how he had asked God to forgive him. But he took that wrench, he drove back up to Leavenworth, he gave it to the man in that maintenance barn, and he says, you know, this is state property. I, I, got, I took it home several years ago, but it's not mine. Give it to you. And I remember Harold said, when I came back down Stevens Pass, the joy of the Lord had returned to my heart. Now, the Holy Spirit directed him to do that. I'm not, again, saying we need to look for things that we need to rectify. I'm just saying this morning, can we be open to the Holy Spirit? Can we allow him to shine his searchlight at our heart? Maybe it's hard, but guilt is an enemy of your heart and only relieved through true biblical confession. And the consequences of confession, even if it might be difficult, are far less severe than the consequences of concealment. Because secrets are kind of like, you know, the, the splinters that sometimes we get. And, and we don't want to dig them out. We don't want to get the needle or the knife and dig them out because it hurts too bad. But if we don't, they get infected. And pretty soon we have an infected wound that's far greater or far worse than the splinter was. I'd like the worship team to join me.